as Latinos, we need to do a much better job of telling our own stories. In this episode, we'll be talking to two men that are educators, artists, and dedicated to telling our story, the Latino story. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. Rupert, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, Rupert, you are a producer, screenwriter, and actor. For this particular film, yeah, for Vecinos Love Thy Neighbor, and those were my roles. I, I am primarily primarily a playwright, mostly uh, do theater. Uh, started Teatro Vivo in Austin back in the year 2000 um, with a lot of my original scripts. And um, love producing new works, love new plays. Um, when we were approached, or I got approached to help turn one of my plays into a film, I put on that producer hat. And then during the course of uh, a lot of the development and uh, talk they said okay now you're the one that has to write the script so i was volunteered by the producers of the, to actually produce the first version of the script and alex avila who's here with us today too uh, had a little hand in the script with some uh, revisions he's also a screenwriter and so he offered some pretty good suggestions that were incorporated into the final version and then i ended up being the uh, i guess the male lead in the film mostly because i'd played the role in the theatrical production so i knew the character pretty well in other words, since you wrote it, you got to be it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great. It was more budget. You know, like we couldn't we couldn't afford a Hollywood actor. Eddie almost wasn't available. Eddie almost, you know, okay. <laughs> right. Now, Alex, you are the director of this film. I am. Yeah, and I got involved. I've known Rupert for a long time. I think uh, in the 90s, he was involved in a, in a production which needed live video. There was a live video aspect to it, and I ran one of the cameras, and I think that's when I first met Rupert. And then uh, uh, several years ago, I wrote and produced a feature film called Closer to Bottom uh, that was directed by Jesse Borrego, who's a known Hollywood actor. And we got Rupert to play uh, the father in that role. And so uh, when I went to one of the staged events that uh, he and the producers had put together is try to drum up local support for the film version of Vecinos, I went up to him, I said, hey, who's writing your screenplay? He says, well, I am. I go, well, if you need any suggestions, I wouldn't mind taking a look at the script and making some, you know, concrete suggestions if you'd like. And so we started going back and forth that way. And before I know it, I was the director of the film. So uh, that's how I got involved. Was it the budget, Rupert? <laughs> yeah, that was budget. <laughs> another budgetary decision. Right, right. Well, you know, the producers were all theater people. Uh, myself, my wife Joanne, who had been the business manager for Teatro Vivo, Raul Garza, who actually has a TKO um, business called TKO, and it's a marketing firm. He's also a playwright, but he's also just a, a theater person. Karina Perez uh, Cantu, a wonderful actress, a writer as well. She's a wonderful writer. And Joe Janie Segura, who is a theater teacher. So all of us were theater people, and we had done movies. We had been in, in front of the camera before, but uh, none of us had actually created a film from start to finish. And so when Alex came in, on board and approached us and, and came to one of our meetings. I had worked with him on Closer to the Bottom. I knew he had produced that film and had knew how to make movies. So he was the perfect choice because he was going to direct, but he also could help guide us quite a bit um, in terms of the, getting the product done. How many movies have you actually produced? Well, I'm working on my third feature now, but I've worked on a lot of shorts and a lot of other people's productions as well. Um, my bachelor's degree was in film production in the 90s, back when we actually shot film on film. On film. And uh, 
back then I had I co-founded uh, an organization called the Chicano Latino Film Forum. And uh, what that did was it would program not only Latino films, but we would actually bring in the filmmakers. And so we'd connect filmmakers with audiences so they could have a dialogue. And so we brought in uh, quite a few people uh, locally from Texas. Uh, and we also brought in some people from California sometimes. And that went on from 1993 through 1999. By 1999, Cine Las Americas in Austin had started to take over. And we sort of just uh, let them take the, the mantle from there. Okay. Now, uh, Alex, where are you from originally? I am a native of Austin, Texas. Born I've got, and raised? I've got four grandparents and three great-grandparents buried in Austin, Texas. Wow. Now, you actually, uh, what high school did you go to in Austin? I went to Austin High. I was Austin bust. Yeah. Bust in. Bust, bust in, in okay. from the east side. They needed, they needed more Latinos, they more Mexicans did. in that white <laughs> high school. They okay. did. Now, Alex, you also, and you're a graduate from, yeah, what, Three degrees from the University of I Texas. I have a degree in radio, TV, film production, and then a master's and PhD in journalism. I was a journalist for 25 years, uh, probably principally 12 years with NPR. Okay, impressive. Well, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having us. Rupert, What um, now you've been involved in acting ever since you were a child, from what I understand. <laughs> I mean, since I was an altar boy, right? Since you are an altar boy. <laughs> uh, that's performing for me. That sort of put me on the stage, right? But uh, yeah, since high school, um, got involved in acting, got a degree in theater education, so I, I knew immediately... Also from the University of right, Texas? that I wanted to go stay in theater, stay in the, in the field, and I love teaching, so it was a natural fit. So I did... Uh, uh, I graduated in 76, went to Houston, started working with youth, creating new plays, uh, writing new scripts, um, which is one of the big things that still exists today. This was 1976, and there were very few scripts available for high school Latino students. And I can tell you that to this day, there still is a, a lack of scripts for kids uh, for theater, both not just for high school students, but also for, for adults. I mean, the, the Latino playwrights are out there. They're just not getting produced, and the, their scripts are not getting distributed and because they don't have places for them to go. You look at the playwriting programs, and, and there's very few. That's why we started one when we were with Teatro Vivo. We started a Los in Latino, which is now Austin Latinx Theater, a new play festival. We've had going now for about 10 years, and there's just not enough programs out there for people to develop the writers. And now, probably will agree with this, that, that everything starts with the writer. The movies, the plays, um, we are just not represented in the arts. And even with this COVID thing that happened, where we had all these places have to shut down, most of the money started going to the major institutions. Uh, nobody, I mean, I know that Mejiarte in Austin is struggling and is looking at possibly, you know, not getting the kind of funding they had in the past, even though they've been one of the major institutions in Austin. They're a Latino uh, institution, and, and they're not thought of as uh, something that needs to continue to be supported. So anyway, Anyway, the, the, I could get on my little bandwagon about as our population increases, our representation has not increased. We have, have still are like an afterthought. And uh, we've got to make more noise. We've got to uh, bang the drum a little bit more. But we also got to put out better products. We, we, you, you, I think that we're, we're good there. I think that the, the films that I've seen at the festivals that, that we've been participating in and the films that I went to go see before we, we started making the movie because I was trying to educate myself and figure out what... Uh, was going to be what our film was going to look like or what I wanted it to look like. I was just totally impressed by the quality of the films that Latinos are making in the United States. Uh, and I know that, you know, the ones that come from Mexico or South America, well, they've been making Spanish language films forever and ever. And, the, you know, the American, the Latinos are, are, well, they've already made some really good films. They just don't get the representation. 
Well, either one of you, what is it? I mean, we have the population, we have the market, we have the buying power. Latinos go to theaters on opening weekend more than any other segment, yet we don't have the representation, you know, on the big screen or, or even on the small screen. There's a history there that, that's dominated the scene, and, and representation really is important because uh, there was this joke uh, in the 1990s when we were doing the, the Chicano Latino Film Forum. You know, it takes a certain amount of time for, for our broadcast signals to pass through space, and if, you know, it, if uh, somebody who was 10 light years away uh, would see what we were broadcasting, they would see that in the 1990s uh, there were more aliens like Ralph on TV than they were Latinos because that's what they would see from our media. And that disappearance hasn't changed much. I mean, you'll see certain stars that, that, that will have impact on certain shows. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's been a plus. You know, we've got the stars. We've got the J-Lo's of this world. We've got the Eddie Olmos's of this world that are out there. But there's so much more young talent there that could also be uh, not only participating, but telling their own stories. And that's what uh, I think we're most proud of with uh, Vecinos Love Thy Neighbor. It's not just filled with Latinos in front of and behind the camera, but it's Latinos telling their own stories. You know, in the 90s, there were a, a bunch of movies that, that were groundbreaking, things like uh, uh, American Me and uh, uh, blood in, blood out. But for a long time, that's what Hollywood wanted. It's like they always have. If you're going to have a Latino in the film, it's going to be the bad guy. It's, it's the bad, be the thug, the gang It's going to be a bandido, or it's going to be somebody robbing. I mean, it's they're they're not good roles, or they're they're maids, or they're workers, right, right, or they're hat in hand in a very submissive representation Roll. that's one of the things we're proud of with uh, vecinos love thy neighbors uh, we tell our own stories not just in terms of uh in front of the camera but behind the camera because uh, so many latinos don't have control over the means of productions and they don't get to tell their own stories and that's why i created a new company i call uh, tex-mex filmworks uh, which uh we're, we're now developing uh, one of my scripts and the goal of that company is to tell sophisticated high-quality stories, and to avoid the stereotypes of, uh, you know, gang members, crime members, uh, maids, and to, uh, to a large extent, even the, the immigrant story, because we've been here generations and, and constantly being referred to as immigrants in a place where we've been here for a long, long, long time, it, it starts to wear on us. And so, you know, we want to control those things, and we have to do it ourselves, because Hollywood's not going to do it. We've got to do it ourselves. We need to tell our own story. Yes. And that's what I love about this movie, Vecinos. I mean, we're telling our own story, and it's it just resonates. I mean, I, I saw that, and just so many things that just seem familiar. Now, Rupert, you've done an excellent job with that. And let me, let me before we get into the, the movie a little bit, your background. You've been at it for a while, but you, you've come out in some movies yourself, haven't you? Yeah, I started... Uh, um well, I started doing theater. I was with a group called Teatro de Esperanza in Santa Barbara, California for several years. And then uh, we decided to return to Austin. We had two kids in Santa Barbara and we were there and we came back and uh, I kind of fell out of the theater scene for about 12 years. I stopped doing uh, uh, movies, doing anything. And my son is the one that started getting interested in film, Julio Carrion Reyes. And he ended up getting a part in the sequel to Lonesome Dove, Streets of Laredo. 
Okay. And when uh, he did that, I auditioned for a part in that same film. They called up and, and I auditioned and, and an agent saw the audition and called me up and said, hey, I didn't know you acted. And I said, well, I didn't because she was Julio's agent, right? And so she said, would you like representation? So I said, sure. And almost immediately, um, started going out to auditions and I got a part in um, the office space first. I played the janitor, uh, the, the uh, waiter at the very end of that movie. Uh, Miss Congeniality, I played a, a security guard at the pageant. Uh, I did do a, a probably my favorite scene I did for um, Rough Riders, which was a major TV movie, but it got edited out. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, man. I got cut from that, but um, I've done some episodes now more recently, Queen of the South. I was in Queen of the South. And Love I've done, that show. done some other films. Uh, H-E-B, a lot of H-E-B commercials. Um, you know, I, I just did another work, a little piece for... Um, Ethos, uh, uh, Ethos Life Insurance for my friend Miguel Alvarez, who's a great film director here in Austin. So, um, yeah, I'm doing commercial work mostly. Uh, uh, still continue to act, uh, okay. trying to do stuff. But this is the first time I've done one, produced it myself. So you guys come to the cable with experience. Right, in front well, of the camera. You, you can <laughs> tell that we're not, we're not children here. <laughs> we're a little bit older. So we, what, what I tell people is we're experienced storytellers, and, and we've been doing it for a long time. You know, my degrees, for the most part, are journalism, and, and but it's still storytelling. And being able to tell a good story, and like we said, taking ownership of the story, that's really what we're about. You know, and, and we talk about this lack of representation um, in film and television, and uh, I, I tend to agree exactly with what Alec was saying, is that we're not the ones that control the, the means of distribution, the means of production. We we have the Latino actors out there. You know, you got Martin Sheen, you got Andy Garcia, and the up-and-coming young actors, uh, Raul Castillo. And, you know, their actors are out there, and the writers are out there. Um, you have good writers that are working. Even the filmmakers, because we, we just came from a festival, and there's some talented young filmmakers out out there right. so. so it's not a problem with the product it the problem that we, we're able to make a really good product it's just that we don't control the choices we're not the ones that pick them for netflix or hbo we're not the ones that uh, get you know that put in the big money for distribution or publicity and marketing i mean you look at, at the at the uh, movie that tom hanks just did uh, uh news of the world uh which is a wonderful book i read the book uh, years ago oh my god the publicity and marketing for that every day day I would read something on Facebook or see something on the internet and, and uh, you know the little feed on the side of my Yahoo uh, uh, I don't know how what what kind of money it costs to promote that movie but when's the last time you saw any kind of money like that behind a Latino movie or a Latino show you know <clears throat> you know you don't I mean in the Heights, in the heights, in the heights. Yeah. and you know and in the Heights is, is wonderful and that you ha there's another another story there within the Heights in terms of you were saying why don't we see more of our, our work up on the screen or on on the small screen and, and you saw the controversy that, that came out from oh, within yeah. our own community yeah, that within was our, like really within our own community we were we were, uh, started fighting about certain things about that film instead of just sitting back and saying look this was great. This was a wonderful, wonderful production, wonderful uh, film, a wonderful play, um, and, and celebrating that. Instead, we had to find the little thing. So we're we're kind of a little bit sometimes. What do they call that? The 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 crawdads in the, the bucket. The crabs in the bucket. Yeah. We're all pulling each other down. That was, you know, you're absolutely right. It's kind of it was a great film. Latino cast. It really celebrated, you know, life. And for for our own community to start nitpicking that thing to death and and being. I mean, you should point them out, but you don't have to be so critical about, about some of the I mean, stuff. I it was a valid there. criticism, sure. No, granted, granted, valid, but to a point where it's, you know, all over the news and, and it almost, to me, it seemed like it was almost persuading people not to go see it because it was like politically incorrect if you went to go see the film, which is ridiculous. Or something flawed with the movie, right? Yeah. The, the, thing, about it, the thing about it is, is that those Latinos in, in that movie... 
look like Latinos in real life. We're all sorts of colors, you know, we're, we're sure. just, we're, and that, and that again, to me, possibly is a problem is that people just don't want to take a chance with upsetting an audience. Uh, casting a, a too light-skinned uh, Latino or too dark Latino in, in a role that, that uh, uh, is going to cause somebody to have the same backlash that we had for In the Heights, which I think, like I said, it's, it's, we've got to support whatever product we put out right now. We're not, we're not there yet. We're not anywhere near close to I mean, to about, it. what, 10, 12 percent of the Latino population is black already. I mean, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And with the interracial marriages, and I mean, we got come from about twenty-two different countries of origin, right? And of course, there's gonna be that mix. Sure. I was uh, I was an editor at Hispanic Magazine, which was uh, pretty influential in the 1990s. And while I was there, on the cover, we put these Afro-Latino music executives. And the backlash we got from our own community goes, is this, uh, you know, a black publication or a Hispanic publication? And and it was shocking to us that people even had within our community they had. Well, that sort we, of we need to accept some truths within our own culture, and that is that uh, how many how many Africans were brought to Mexico by the Spaniards? And do you think they they isolated themselves from from the rest of the population? No. But well, even during the Civil War, there's a lot of there's a lot of enslaved people who came to Mexico. Right. And and enclaves of uh, people there because at least the Mexican government defended they're trying to extradite them or get them back and the Mexican government said no We don't believe in slavery, and they're staying here, and they became citizens. And I, so, I'm just saying is that we've got to to stop worrying about about uh, the, our skin color in terms of representation. That if you call yourself, uh, um, you know, Latinx or Latino, then accept it because we come, we come we're we're coming all colors, <laughs> and and we speak all sorts of different languages. I that's mean, the, true. the the variations of Spanish, right? The the that's another thing that people will pick out. They say, oh, you cast a Puerto Rican in, in a role that has this was a Mexican. The accent is wrong, right? Uh, I can't help but wonder if we're that critical of our own community, how critical are other people that are non-Hispanic looking at our films? And you know, are, are they being the same way, or is it even worse? I mean, where does it end? Where did What's going on right now? They're trying to. They're doing a remake of West Side Story. <laughs> that, that I'm going to. That, that goes again to to my my thought of we getting to tell our own stories. They're letting us do remakes of successful One Day at a Time, for example. All right, One Day at a Time. That's great, and I I hope all the success for the the reboot. But why can't we tell our stories? Yeah. And that's where I come back again to uh, to why I created that film company, Tex Mex Filmworks. You know. I, the, the screenplay that I've written, it's got a Latino professor uh, married to a Latina attorney, you know, and, and we live in Texas. We see Latinos in all walks of life as businessmen, as judges, as politicians. They're not all thugs and criminals living in the barrio, struggling, eating beans well, and Well, I do know some politicians that are kind of... <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and that's why I'm so very, well, I'm very proud of the movie you guys produced, Vecinos Love Thy Neighbor. It tells our story. If, can we talk, Rupert or, or Alex, can you tell a little bit, without revealing too much, a little bit about the movie? It's a romantic comedy and what people can expect when they see it. Well, I can, I can tell you a motivation in creating the play that led to the creation of the film, and that was my father was married twice. I lost my mom when I was seven years old, uh, and I can remember how sad my dad was. Uh, the, the pain that, that he was, was uh, going through by the loss of, of this woman that he had been married to for, at the time, I would say almost 15 years, and stayed unmarried until he met another woman. Um, if he, he didn't get married for about seven years, and then when he met the other woman, he was totally devoted to her until he died in 2007, but um, it, I saw how much he loved this woman and how much he cared for her and, and, and 
devoted himself to the family and, and making her part of our family. So I wanted to honor my dad by writing a movie about an older man and the love of his life. And um, so when we meet Roberto, he is, he's a widower, and he meets the other widower that moves in across the street, uh, the hallway in his apartment. And it becomes a relationship that, that starts as a friendship. And as the circumstances start to change in both their lives, we see their relationship start to grow. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where it goes because you have to watch a movie to see how that ends up. But, um, you know, that's what I was exploring in this film, the relationships of, um, of people and how they fall in love. And at the same time, I wanted to, I don't write uh, fluffy art stuff. I like to write stuff that has some sort of social commentary. Uh, I call it socially relevant material. I would love my plays to have some socially relevant material. Uh, uh, element to them. So there's comments about uh, what the changes that are happening in East Austin specifically, but those are the changes that are happening all over the country. We're just one of the, one of the places that it's happening too in terms of gentrification and the loss of culture, the loss of, of, um, uh, of the spaces and areas that, that created our community and what the community is. And so it is a Latino film, but there's a universality to it. You know, we all fall in love. And I, what I like, you know, yeah, I know these characters in terms of I relate to these characters, um, but also there's an older element. They're they're more mature. They're not you know young kids, uh, but that doesn't mean they don't have something to offer. And so there's a lot of positive messages uh, through these characters in this movie. And, and so far, uh, very few uh, people have seen it, but those who have have been very energetic and 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 positive with with the film yeah currently the the film is doing the what film festival circuit mm-hmm. and you guys are getting some awards amazing feedback from your audiences I mean, one i know you are you should be proud but where does it go from here when can this can this thing be developed into or picked up where more people can see it than are seeing it now well you know we, we talked about not having control over the, the the means of production there's also this issue of control of means of distribution it's like it'd be great we just put out a movie and, and put it out on netflix and, and it's not up to us right we have to go through agents and distributors because they're the ones that have the access uh we finished the film in november just in time to make it into the american film market and we had several meetings i would say seven or eight meetings uh with agents and distributors and um after those meetings, we seriously were talking about, you know what, we should self-distribute this because what they were offering was not very good. The future of the movie right now is in the hands of uh, Mila Media out of New York with our representative, um, Eli Zavala, who saw this film just before we took it off of one of our platforms. There's some platforms that you put your film in for distributors and agents and uh, film festivals to see. So they get a password, they get to see it. It's not public. And she caught it right before we took it down. Like a week. And I've been <laughs> up there for months. And so we were getting ready not to pay the fee because we said, well, we're on this other side. Let's let that, that one go. And I mean, she was so passionate about the movie. She's from Mexico. She's a young woman and mm-hmm. just loved the film. I would say she's probably in her early 30s. I have never asked right, her age, right. like she's, a gentleman. She's based in New York, but she, <laughs> she said after she saw the movie, she was crying. She called her mother in Mexico and just really fell in love with the movie. And, and when she talked to us, I mean, she sold us on the fact of how genuine she was about it and how she got it and how she really wanted 
as many people to, to see this movie as possible. And then, you know, in terms of the numbers, because it's still a business, mm -hmm. you know, everybody we had talked to up until we talked to Ellie were saying 15-year exclusive contract, uh, 30, 25-30% we would take. And, and uh, she was, they were talking more when we talked to her of a three-year non-exclusive contract. And so we still had the freedom to show the movie at other places that we wanted to. It wasn't like we were giving up all the control like the other distributors. It's like, you made the movie, give it to us. This company yeah. gets it. She, they get the idea that you've worked on this product. It's your product. And I think Ellie summed it up really well. She said, you know, it's like you've baked a cake and we want you to keep as much of the cake. We're going to take a slice because we're, we're going to be doing the business with you, but uh, we want you to keep as much of your cake as you possibly can. So that, that was a really positive thing for us uh, before we signed with her and we have signed. You will, can get a chance to see this movie uh, at the, uh, the Latino Film Market. In, out of New York. Uh, yeah, it, that's going to run July 26th through August 1st, uh, and it's an online festival. But I'm, I think the passes are only $10. It's, they're very accessible, so anybody okay. can, at least right. during that time, and uh, I think $10 gives you uh, uh, access to all the films. That's a pass. It's right. not, not just a ticket. Not just our film. But uh, I think it, it's called the Latino uh, Mark Film Market at .org. I don't think they're there. I think it's .org is, is their uh, website. So And tickets are on sale now, so you can try to get it. And you can watch uh, Vecinos Love Thy Neighbor there. Uh, and Otherwise, uh, you're going to have to wait uh, for other, another another film festival and, and hopefully Ellie, some distribution. Ellie can get us a distributor out there. Yeah, she's yeah. a sales agent. Well, I'll make sure in the, uh, in the podcast notes to go ahead and put that link link so if people want to right, right. catch the full feature now the movie was filmed primarily in Buda, texas now for those who may not be aware Buda, texas is actually the home base of tamac the texas association of Mexican american chambers of commerce who's bringing you this broadcast and Buda is geographically located just south of austin or as folks here in Buda like to say austin is a suburb <laughs> how did you end up here how did this movie get made here well, what happened was, uh, uh, as you know, I'm from Austin, um, generations from Austin, but all my cousins are leaving Austin because they can't afford Austin. They're moving out to Maine or they're moving out to Del Valley, Pflugerville, Cedar Park. Uh, and, and so they're leaving the city. Um, when I sold what was my grandparents' house on the east side of, of Austin, uh, I got what I, I described as an obscene amount of money for it. <laughs> and so I, I bought an acre out here in Buda uh, with a house on there. So I got an acre. We actually, when we were looking for a location, we, we considered building it in my backyard, literally. Uh, uh, so we were looking for a location to shoot, and, and the movie, of course, takes place in, mostly in, in an apartment complex. And so I was, uh, I'm also a college professor at Houston Tillotson University, and I, I teach media, I teach uh, mass communications. And we were having internet problems because of all the construction around Buda. They would break up the streets, and I would lose the internet. Uh, and there was a, a particular construction project that was uh, seriously interfering with my ability <laughs> to get online. So I would have to come downtown Buda to a coffee shop and get the internet access. I would spend three or four hours there, and I passed uh, a location because at that time we were we were in pre-production for the film and we were looking for locations uh, in, in Buda. It was a Carrington, and it's a it's a 
activities venue where they often host uh, wedding receptions. And I said, well, we have a wedding scene in the movie. Maybe we can use that. And I contacted them. And when I toured them, I went upstairs and they had this old apartments upstairs. Like and the building is like 100 years old already, right? It's ancient. Yeah. And I had no idea what was upstairs. I, I had peeked inside because you can see inside they have an outdoor venue, they have an indoor venue. But I had no idea that they had this place upstairs and bam, like a light went off when I saw that that location there and so we ended up shooting those we had we rented the place for a month uh we were able to to make it look uh like what it looks like in the movie Uh, yeah we were able to do the reception scenes downstairs and outside uh, but most of the movie we had to shoot it upstairs and in that old spot it was rickety we had to we had to have set designers we had to put doors there were no doors uh and uh, we made it we transformed it into i think a perfect location for the and rupert when you first saw this building we're walking up those stairs you know that when you when you um one of the things that the difference between a play uh, and, a, and a screenplay is the images. You, you have to have images in your head uh, because you're, you're telling a story through pictures uh, as opposed to dialogue. And so when I first got to this building, I walked into this big room and I thought, OK, it looks like an old store and stuff. And then she said, well, upstairs is up those stairs. And I looked at those staircases and I walked around the corner and saw the wooden stairs going up. And my heart just started racing. I said, oh, my God, this is the stairwell that, that um, Sylvia is going to lug up her luggage when she helps her mom move into this apartment and when I walked upstairs and looked down the hallway it was like the image in my head was almost perfectly portrayed right there the the a little narrow hallway with doorways on either side and and one apartment at one end and one apartment on the other end so it was a perfect situation for shooting for filming because uh, the camera could look either way went left you know up or down it didn't uh the lighting there was a lot of windows a lot of natural light that was flowing into the space uh Mike Osman our cinematographer he had I think one lighting instrument that he used for the entire film the rest was all natural light so you'll see that in in the movie as well but um you know I'm, I'm a throwback to the old uh shows I told I said I love Lucy I love that show and the idea that you know Ricky and and Lucy lived in an apartment complex owned by the Burtz but Fred and Ethel Burtz uh, I think it was Fred and Ethel Mertz Burtz, yeah <laughs> and uh so um that's why I set my. Um, I was going to write a, a movie. I, I set it in an apartment. Most Latinos in East Austin don't live in apartments, <laughs> but this one does, and it's an older apartment building that Roberto had lived in for a long time. And he is a representative of the barrio and how old the barrio is. And so he kind of he's kind of is the is the barrio in a way. It's interesting that one of your favorite movies was I Love Lucy, or one of your favorite TV shows, because. Ricky Ricardo there, Ricky Ricardo, excuse me, Desi Arnaz and Lucio Ball, I mean, they were pioneers in the industry. Mm-hmm. As far as the movie industries and what what, the, what they've done with multiple cameras when they used to use one, and then he wanted to own the rights to the films, right. you know, afterwards for syndication. He came up with the idea of syndication before anybody else did. So, yeah, definitely, definitely pioneers. Today, hoy en día, we have films being made, not enough Latino films. It's costly. There's a lot of talent out there. What can be done to get more stories, our stories, being told? Well, one is to get the awareness of the community uh, because we need to support these kinds of productions. And when we say support, support can come in a lot of different ways, right? All kinds of resources are needed to make a film. I, I, I made the comment that the, when they were uh, talking to some producers, you know, about production, I, I made the comment, you know, producing is like herding cats, 
It just takes so many things and so many things can go wrong. And the more help you have, the better. And the, whole, the help can be uh, giving locations, um, getting permits, uh, giving donations, um, volunteering, because there's all sorts of man hours that need to be done. Uh, the filmmaking that we're doing at this level, this isn't Hollywood filmmaking, right? This isn't a multi-million dollar trucks with giant uh, stars and, and huge budgets. We're talking about independent filmmakers, and there are plenty of independent filmmakers that just need uh, support. You know, a $10,000 grant, a $20,000 grant could be the difference between making something and seeing us on the screen and, and it never seeing the light of day. You know, this is something that, that uh, always always occurs to me because I'm primarily a theater artist. And so I've always been so proud of our productions that we put together with, with $15,000. We put on we put on uh, excellent play with excellent set, costumes and actors. And I always say, if we had more money, we, we could have a better set, better lighting, better production quality uh, with, with this thing. So, well, Alex is talking about uh, how the movies that are made without millions of dollars. Just imagine if we'd had a million dollars to make this movie. How much uh, uh, the different kind of quality that we could have brought to this film. Uh, more locations specifically. We we limited the location because of budget. Maybe uh, a maybe a more famous lead man. Maybe a more famous lead man. Yeah, maybe one that actually could carry the role. You know. So, <laughs> Ruben, but, you, you did an excellent job. I'm yeah. serious. Yeah, I mean, you fit the part. Yeah, I mean, well, you, thank you. That thank was you. definitely typecasting, and I mean, it was so believable. Right. So believable. Well, I think that like again, I'm a theater educator, and I believe that that's where we need to also start. We need to, we need to support young our young people getting into the arts, into into acting, into filmmaking, to writing, uh, into writing, and and uh, when we have that talent, we've got it's out there. Uh, the other thing that we need to also support is is the institutions that uh, if. Places like that are major theater centers that get major tax money uh, to, for their operation should be required to include productions written by, uh, produced by, and uh, acted in by Latinos and also other people of color too. Not just not just our community because our you know um, you know blacks and and are also not represented. Actually, Asians are not represented. Native Americans, you know the, the Native Americans, right? So they they should almost be required to devote a percentage of the same percentage of funding they, that they get should be devoted to the percentage of the population in their community in San Antonio and Dallas and Houston. Uh, like I said, all over in Denver, New York. Chicago. And because that, that does bring up that issue, because once we've created the product, it's like, what do we do with it? You know, you're not going to get uh, too many 30, 40 minute short films on Netflix, um, but we need places to show it to audiences. And there mm. are these venues out there that are publicly supported that aren't programming them. And so we need to, to put the pressure on them to do that. All right. So we can connect to the audiences, if nothing else. Yeah, we've got the product. We've got the talent. Uh, I I have no doubt about that, and we just need to get the institutions to promote them, to program them, and put them on. Put them on. But haven't we had the talent and the product for a long time now, and it's just busting that barrier? I mean, getting your foot in the door, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to to, to develop an, a new project, and I, I contacted this actress that I worked with with uh, closer to bottom, and she's like, "Oh, I'm not doing film anymore," and I'm like man and i didn't get into it but i can i respected her privacy but there's so many reasons why people burn out so they're like hitting their heads against the wall they're banging they get tired of, of the struggle right and so we can do things to reduce the struggle to support them sometimes you just need a little bit of support and to keep going yeah. 
as you said, support comes in many ways. I'm not a writer. I'm not an actor. I'm not a filmmaker or director, but I can support by buying a ticket. You can certainly. And, and you're supporting us by having these conversations and, uh, and getting Absolutely. the word out. Absolutely. And, and I encourage folks, if, you, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, share it. Share it with other people. Recommend this episode because, guys, hopefully we'll, we'll have you back one of these days soon. I'm anxious to uh, follow the movie to see where it goes because it is a good movie. And thank you once again for allowing me to preview it ahead of time. And, and let me just say, if you want to take a look at the at the trailer, you can go to our website, vecinosthemovie.com. Vecinosthemovie.com. And I'll also put it on the on the notes here um, so you can do that. But it's a great film. And I'll confess, towards the end there, I kind of welled up myself with a little <laughs> tear. It was it was good. It was really good. That's why we got to get it in the theater so that the, the, the machos, los hombres, they pueden llorar. So in the, the dark. In the dark. dark. Yeah, nobody, nobody will know that they cry. <laughs> Honey, are you crying? No, it's Allergy. my allergies. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any closing thoughts from, from you, Rupert or Alex? I just thank, thanks uh, for helping us as a JR to, to get the word out. And, uh, you know, people can contact us if they want to ask us more questions or want, uh, want to get involved in our productions. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they contact you or through Tamaka or at the Buta Chamber, where I know you're based, uh, you, you know how to connect us. Yeah, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Cine Las Americas and Cine Festival, two festivals that uh, are local. And uh, um, it, when they come around again next year, I really encourage people to go participate in them because they bring wonderful Latino films. And it's important, I think, for us in the community to see the work that we're doing, see the films we're doing, because uh, if you only see In the Heights and then you never see anything else, you never really know what's out there and, and you're missing a lot. I was just amazed. I'm always amazed at the wonderful films that are being put out. And if, you, if somebody's out there listening happens to know of a theater or a venue that you can actually show this, let us know because we want to get this film out to as many people as possible. Vecinos, love thy neighbor. Rupert, Alex, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Latino Business Report. I'm Jared Gonzalez. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, comment, and you can follow us anywhere you listen to podcasts.